The scripture today is taken from Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Porchorus, and Nicana, and, and Timon, and Paranus, and Nicholas, a, a prophesied of uh, Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Before I begin this morning, I want to say thank you to uh, Adrian Early, our youth pastor who preached last week, and to Alan Michael who preached two weeks ago. We're so blessed with such gifted staff here, and uh, I love working alongside them, and God has gifted them also to preach his word faithfully, and so thank you to them. This is the last sermon in a series uh, called Church, and this, uh, if you are a member of Grace, you should have received uh, a ballot uh, to vote on changes in our bylaws, and so thus the uh, sermon series as well to coincide with the uh, vote and to help us to be reminded of what church is and uh, who it is and that we serve and how it is that we do it. And so this morning we come to the early church, Acts chapter 6. And as we do, we discover some things that uh, will, uh, I think, both surprise and energize you. Uh, When we look at uh, the uh, beginnings of the church and how we may be similar or dissimilar to them. Um, This idea uh, that we're going to see today is, I would say, counterintuitive, and it is uh, countercultural today. Watch the news or watch ESPN or any of those uh, outlets, and we don't see a lot of synergy. And when I say synergy, because we're in church, it's not S-I-N-E-R-G-Y. There's plenty of energy to sin. We, We need no more of that. Uh, but S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. So what is it? It's a little word that comes from two words, meaning with and work. Uh, Really, it means to work together. Uh, Let me give you a more technical definition. Synergy is the creation of a whole that is greater than the simple sum of its parts. The creation of a whole that is greater than the simple sum of its parts. So I have been... uh, uh, studying with Trent biology. Uh, I'm learning a lot these days. But uh, just a simple, uh, maybe, illustration of synergy is uh, you have hydrogen and oxygen, but if you take two parts of hydrogen and one part oxygen, you get what? Water. And so that's quite a remarkable outcome of the combination of those two uh, elements of uh, hydrogen and oxygen. 
Uh, that's synergistic. That is where the sum is greater than the parts, uh, than the whole. And that's what we discover happens in the early church. Stephen Covey says synergy uh, is one of the seven habits of highly effective people. He says it's what happens when one plus one equals ten or a hundred or even a thousand. It's the profound result when two or more respectful human beings determine to go beyond their preconceived ideas to meet a great challenge. In the early church right away, uh, we see synergy at work in how so? Well, first of all, uh, they have good growth. Good growth creates good problems. Uh, good growth creates good problems. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, how many? Acts 2.41 says 3,000 in one day. 3,000 had come to faith in Christ in a single day, Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's this one big group in a single day, but then there's day after day after day of people coming to faith in Christ. Everything seems perfect, but it isn't. Why? There is a complaint. Now there arose a complaint. Let me say just a couple of things. There are some of you in here whom God is calling into full-time vocational ministry. If that is God's call on your life, and you think that you are headed toward a complaint-free experience, find something else to do. Why? Because People have legitimate concerns that they will bring to you. Many of you are single. If you think that you will have a complaint-free marriage, don't get married. They do not exist, amen? They don't. Uh, you, you can't have complaint-free work, complaint-free marriage, and you won't have complaint-free church. Now, having said that, uh, I, w- I must say to you, I am never, ever at all tempted. It, it never enters my mind when I'm at pastor's meetings or other places where there are other folks who do what I do to ever, ever talk of you in a disparaging way. I'm not blowing smoke when I say that. I mean that you are a remarkable church to pastor. I love your heart for the Lord. I love your love for the word. I love your acceptance of other people who are different than you are. I love that. I love how we sing God's songs together and how we worship together. But a complaint arose, and these are inevitable. Who did it come from? It came from the Hellenists. So who are they? They are simply Greek speaking Jews. Uh, they, they moved away from Israel proper and into territories where Greek was spoken and where Greek was read and written and they had adopted as their primary language Greek. 
there were widows among them. This shows us a couple of things. First of all, in the early church, they are attracting both Greeks, uh, Greek-speaking Jews and and Hebrews, right, who, who speak Hebrew. They, they've got both, right? So they're attracting both. And, uh, and so they, these widows complain against the Hebrews. Who are they? They are the locals, if you will. They stayed in Israel. They never left. They speak the original language. They know the Torah really well. They didn't turn and run in their minds. And so they tend to have an elevated view of themselves and a lower view of the Greek-speaking Jews. It also tells us that the early church had adopted some customs from the synagogue because the synagogue had almsgiving. It worked in a couple of ways. There were two men who worked as receivers of alms. They would go to businesses, they would go to homes, uh, to individuals, and ask for either food items or money. And then uh, there was another receiving of alms that was door-to-door called the tray. And this was in turn given to widows, same day. So this wasn't held. It was given to two kinds of groups of widows or others that needed it. One was uh, widows that had no children and therefore would not be cared for, so they were considered long-term need widows, and, and they, the, the, the synagogue knew they had to take care of them for the duration. The other was for people who had crises in life, and so they had a need arise, and it was for them. And the church adopted this early in the church. So the early church is helping widows, but these Hebrew uh, distributors of the alms are overlooking the Greek-speaking widows. And it's created a problem, a rift. I love the apostles' response. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, there are a couple of things about their response that I like. First of all, they didn't complain because people complained. They didn't, right? Uh, That's life. Uh, Things aren't going to always go okay. That's life. So they didn't complain about that, but then I love their focus. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables tables. Uh, What if they had? What if they had given up preaching the word and said, "We, we don't have time to do that anymore. We've got to serve tables. If the word isn't preached according to Romans 10, people won't come to faith in Christ. That's clear. So if they had abandoned the preaching of the word, no one comes to faith in Christ. The church ebbs to uh, uh, slow, uh, and then dies. The, the Kaufman Foundation and Incorporated Magazine did a study of 5,000 companies that had been previously named to the fastest growing companies uh, in uh, startups in their time. 
Of those 5,000, they discovered that uh, 66% of them had either closed or been sold within just a few years of having been named to these companies that you ought to watch. Their conclusion was that those companies never made it to what they call stage four in the life of a company, and that is the ability to be self-sustaining. Outside of the Holy Spirit, if you as an organizationally thinking person are looking at the church right now, it is in no way self-sustaining. And this could have been a major train wreck for the early church. But obviously, it turned out not to be. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So religion that is pure and undefiled is what? Take care of orphans, stay away from the world. How do we stay away from the world? The preaching and teaching of the word. And we take care of orphans. James says you've got to have both. So please hear me. A, a Christian church that does not love orphans and widows, by New Testament definition, ceases to be a Christian church. And a Christian church that loves orphans and widows without uh, affirming uh, and, and teaching uh, the word of God, by definition of the New Testament, ceases to be a Christian church. So, so we have a good problem. Good problems then, number two, demand creative solutions. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That word repute, I'll say it in the Greek, I think you'll hear the cognate, martyreo. That's where we get our word martyr. What does it mean? It means that their life is a, a martyr, a, a testimony. It means that, but it also means that, that they're willing to put their life on the line. In their book, Designed to Lead, Geiger and, and Peck uh, talk about leadership, and they quote a University of Michigan author. This University of Michigan author does not speak from a Christian point of view at all, but this is what he says. He says, leadership, the word, is rooted in the meaning of a call to die. And he goes on to say in a, an elongated quote in Geiger and Peck's book, if, if more people knew that, many fewer books would be written on leadership today. Right? It's a call to die. And so that's what it is we discover in the very next chapter. Indeed, one of these deacons becomes the first what? Martyr. In the church. Choose from among you. I love this. Please hear me. The solutions to the good problems any church has are sitting in the church. The solutions to a good problem that any church has, right here you are. I'm convinced that every member of grace that God brings here he brings here because there's something that he wants to see accomplished and it wouldn't get accomplished unless you came. 
I'm convinced of that. I have a high view of church membership, a high view of being involved in the local body of Christ because when God brings you, there is work that will be done because you're here, because you're serving, because you're giving, because you're going, there will be work that will be done. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. Well, if you're full of the Spirit, you'll be full of wisdom. And if you're full of the wisdom, full of wisdom is because you're full of the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is called the Spirit of wisdom. And, and if He comes in you and He, he fills you, you will be full of, of, of wisdom. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. In, order, in other words, meet their needs, preach the gospel. Meet their needs, preach the gospel. So this connects to two values here at Grace. One value is Bible-centered teaching and preaching. That's one of our top ten values here. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. First of all, all our sermons are expository preaching. All of them. We do not do topical preaching here. We do not preach from a book other than the Bible. When I teach preaching, this is how I explain this, preachers have a choice. They can either use the Word of God like a diving board, jump off the diving board and swim around in a pool of your own ideas as a preacher, and come back occasionally to the diving board of Scripture. And when you do that, the authority will rest in your opinion because you've spent most of the time swimming around in your own ideas. Or we reverse the analogy or the metaphor and the pool is the word of God. And preachers then must, will swim around in the pool of God's word and hopefully come up on the diving board to let everybody breathe, right? And then back into the word and back to the diving board to illustrate or to argue uh, a point or to explain a point. But that's how preaching must be and so that's how we are. Uh, those of you, so many of you were not here uh, 17 years ago when I came as pastor, but you know, uh, perhaps know that it was just me, and I had a desk and I had a cell phone, and my office was in uh, uh, a spare room in someone's house. That was it. The, the church had no buildings. We had no space to call our own. We met in a borrowed space. We uh, had a shoestring of a budget. In the early days, uh, I report here a $14,000 difference in what our budget needs are, what our budget receipts were for last month. In the early days, we had less money than, than the difference in the bank. That's how we operated it's just early days, right? But one thing that this congregation did, that early group of people said, Jerry, we will not call you until 11 a.m. because we expect you to be in the Word. We expect you to be preparing. Don't bother with your phone. Get in the Word early. Prepare the Word of God to preach to us. And for 17 years, this church has given me the best time of my day, uninterrupted, to be in the Word, to preach, to prepare, to bring to you the Word of God. 
So it's one of our values, Bible-centered teaching and preaching. The other is uh, servant evangelism, and we kind of subtitle that, meeting a need so others can meet Jesus. Servant evangelism is meeting a need so others can meet Jesus. How do we do that here at Grace? Well, you know some of the ways. I want to share them with you. Lunch bunch, right? Lunch bunch is one of those ways that we do that. And uh, began about eight summers ago. This summer we fed 550 children uh, all through the, uh, the summer, us and churches all around us. Audra sitting here, Audra Boykin. God is using her tremendously right now to lead our Christmas ministry. Let me share with you, I think we have 15 families involved. So, so we have somewhere in that range. And uh, so what do we do? These families save money and we match what they save to buy their kids or in many of their cases, their grandchildren Christmas gifts. So they're, they're involved and we're coming alongside them in this wonderful effort with this Christmas ministry, wellness ministry. It's new here. And uh, every Wednesday we have uh, uh, wellness on Wednesdays and we have all kinds of uh, different folks who come to our campus. And so our staff gets to go in and sit down and uh, share the word uh, on wellness Wednesdays. This past Wednesday, I absolutely love this. Absolutely love this. I'm sitting there. It's my time to share. The room is packed, and uh, I'm, I'm sharing. And before I launch in, it was kind of an intro to my Bible study. I said to the women in the room and men in the room, uh, what would you like for Christmas? I look over to my left, and there is a, a, a woman sitting there, and she says, my, what I want for Christmas is to be sober. This morning before the early service, I'm standing in the lobby, and in she walks. She looks so beautiful. She's dressed so nicely. She's all made up. She looked remarkable. By the grace of God, I remembered her name. I looked at her and said, I think I know your name. I said her name. She said, oh my gosh. I said, it's so good to see you this morning. I am so glad you're here. I want to say, and, and I told this story in the early service, and they didn't know who she was, but this place erupted in applause for her. And I have many of you that I've known for a long, long time, but I can say with all due respect to you, no lie, I'm more excited she was here this morning than I am that you are. And there's a, there's a young girl sitting in the back of the room, she looked down. She appears to be maybe 19. And she looked down and she said, I want this thing off my ankle by Christmas. Aren't you glad those people come to this campus? Is not this the place for them? Amen? This is it. This is absolutely it. Wellness ministry, benevolence ministry is where we help folks. And we're, we've transitioned to uh, 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 helping without hurting. A couple of profs out of Covenant College in Tennessee working with the Chalmers Center. Amazing stuff. Helping without hurting when helping hurts. We've completely transitioned our benevolence ministry to that model. 
We have replaced or repaired 15 roofs in the last three years here at Grace. 15 roofs. Most of the people whose roofs we replace are older people on fixed incomes who never put that in the budget. And they're so grateful for what we do for them. Our food pantry sees more than 3,000 people a year. We have a crew leaving this month to go to uh, Houston. That trip is full. We have a trip leaving in December to go to Houston. That trip is full. We are now planning trips in the spring. Why? Good problems demand creative solutions, don't they? Good problems demand creative solutions. Uh, So creative solutions, number three, produce synergistic outcomes. Listen to this. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, all the disciples, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. So, So what do we know about the list? I love this. Every one of them is a Greek name. Every name on the list is a Greek name. Now, six of the seven are Jews whose names are Greek, meaning they're Hellenists. They have been influenced by the Greek culture. They speak the Greek language. How brilliant, right? How amazing that the leaders say, all right, the problem exists among the Greek-speaking widows. Let's find Greek-speaking deacons to lead out and solve the problem. And the seventh one is a Greek who came to faith in First, not Christ, but Judaism, and then converted to Christianity. I love that, right? Whoever would have thought. This is the very spirit of Christianity, G. Campbell Morgan says. It overcomes prejudice by heaping upon those who imagine they have been neglected all the honors and responsibilities of office. Hey, let's find the people who feel looked down on and let's represent them. And so then the Greeks are serving not only the Greek widows, but the Hebrew widows too. All right, so this will push the envelope for some of you a bit. But I must tell this. It was just about two weeks ago that this young man reached out to me, and uh, he is a new pastor in our county. And he said, Jerry, I, I, I really need your help. I need some wisdom. I said, okay. His name is Travis. Travis, years ago, was in the youth group that I led, and, and he was not the kid that you were thrilled to have in the youth group <laughs> at all. He was not easy. You know, I say to some of you, you are job security for me. Right? As long as I have you, you've got something to preach about. And uh, <laughs> Travis was job security for me. Well, he left that youth ministry, graduated high school, got into drugs, and into prison. And God gloriously brought him out and called him to pastor a church that if you're local, you'll know about, most likely, Nielsville Church of God. 
over in uh, Sugar Hill area. It may surprise you to know I've been in that tiny little building that this morning there are 160 people packing in that little building to worship God. I'm so glad. Well, Travis said, we've got to build a building and I need some help. I don't even know where to start. We've got some money saved and we've got to do this. And so he and I sat for an hour and we walked through just processes and things like that of getting this building built. And then when we finished, I noticed a little cloth lying on the table between us. And he said, now, Brother Jerry... I brought you, I brought this cloth. He said, I don't know how you feel about this. And he quoted the book of Acts. He said, but I believe there's nothing magical about this cloth, but we could anoint it with oil. and There might be somebody that you think needs this cloth. And immediately I thought of a man in our church. I just visited him in jail And he was leaving there to go to prison. And I said, he, his mom, needs this. So we bowed our heads in my office, anointed that cloth with oil. We put our hands on it, and together we prayed for you, Tammy. We prayed for Tammy. I didn't see Tammy for a couple weeks. I was away from here. And it was a week ago Wednesday that Tammy walks in. It's her boy who's now in prison. And Tammy walked in and she said, you'll never believe what happened to me. This is on a Wednesday night. I said, Tammy, what happened? She said, for some reason last Sunday night, I decided to go over to the Nielsville Church of God. And she said, so I went and she said, and Tammy was quick to say, now they do some things that, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what she said. And she said, but at the end, the pastor said, I want to invite you to come forward, and if you have a child that is wandering from God or that is in a tough place, let's pray. Tammy said, I went forward. She'd never met Travis. I knelt there. I began to pray. She said, I poured out my heart, as any of us parents would, amen, for my boy. And I prayed, and I begged God to work in his life. And then she said, Travis walked over to me and laid his hands on me and began to pray for my son, who was incarcerated. Tammy said, How did he know? How did he know? I said, well, Tammy, you need to walk with me to my office. And so we walked to my office, and we grabbed the cloth. I said, two weeks ago, Travis sat here. We prayed for Jeffrey. That's how he knew. God took you to that place. You see... What Travis said is when he got out of prison, he went to live with his grandmother, and he said, my grandmother was a godly woman who prayed often for me 
And she, unbeknownst to me until the day I was unmaking my bed, had put a cloth underneath my pillow so that every night when I laid my head down, I was laying on that cloth and she was praying for me. All right, so so Thursday is mentoring day here where pastors come in. 21 of them sit in a room all day and I have the privilege of pouring into them. There sat Travis. Two Presbyterian pastors. Pastors in churches big and small, so different from us, some like us, uh, some like us, some very traditional churches. Say, so, Jerry, what do you mean? What I mean is that the essentials are the essentials and we will never give on them but there might be some more room around the perimeter than you dare think and God might be working in ways in churches that do things differently than we do amen that's exactly what happens here uh, Genesis, uh, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Synergy is the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. I love this. I love how this ends. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. This is after the complaint, after the meeting, after the deacons, after the Greek-speaking deacons were handing out the daily distribution of food to the Greek widows and the Hebrew widows. Whoever would have thought this would happen, and a great many of the who? The who? Say it loud. The who? The priest. There's nobody in their right mind. There is no church growth method that says choose Greek-speaking believers to hand out food to Greeks and widows so that uh, people who have given all their lives to work in the temple will come to faith in Christ. That's synergy. That's the sum of the parts coming together makes some unbelievable results. That's what happened. Yes, yes, we're going to choose Greeks and see Hebrews come to faith. Not just any Hebrew, but this is a guy who's given all of his life to serving in the temple. We'll see them come to faith in Christ. The gospel, by its very nature, is synergistic. By its very nature, the gospel is synergistic. Only by the power of the gospel can you take a life wrecked with sin, transformed by the power of the Spirit, and see God use that life to change the world. Right? Only by the gospel. Kevin sits here, Gauthier, runs 828 gym, texts me on Wednesday night, Jerry, Bible study. This woman gave her life to Christ. Yes. She was here. Kevin may not know this. A couple weeks ago, I I saw her as she was leaving. Tears were coming down her face. I remembered her name from his text. I asked her what was going on. She was crying as she was leaving. And she shared with me, and I said, have you given your life to Christ? She said, no. I said, well, are you ready? She said, not yet. I was like, ah. But it's Wednesday night, your gym, Kevin and Leah, 
that she comes to Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, the World Series is over. I pulled for the Astros. I'll tell you why. If you're from, been around Grace a while, two, two words, one person, Jay Glenn. Why? Poor guy, he's pulled for them for years. That's like pulling for the Browns, you know? It's just awful, it's hard. I mean, when your dog is named Astro, you're a serious fan. And so when they made it into the World Series, I said to Wendy, I'm pulling for you. I'm a Houston fan now. Jay Glenn, right? And so I pulled for the Astros like an idiot, stayed up for that super late night that went on, uh, that game that went on forever. Just got into it for Jay Glenn. But I was conflicted. Why? Another, another name, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. Pitcher for the Dodgers. What a story. You want to hear a story of synergy, of unexpected outcomes. Whoever would have thought that God would use him, raised by his mother, and do what he's done. Check out his story.
So this morning, how we're going to end our time together is this. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, do a couple of things. First of all, to come, and if you've never received Christ, if you have never, like the, the woman did Wednesday night at 828, trusted Christ, or as Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw just said, relinquish control. Don't leave here as you came today. Heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Christ. So I want you to do that. Number two, if you are carrying a burden and you simply need prayer for that, we have this invitation time for that. Alan Michael and I will be here. We have that. So I haven't asked her, but number three is Tammy. So Tammy, I want to ask you just to stand right there. And if you'll come and pray for Jeffrey. With Tammy. I think that'd be a great way to minister to you as a mom. And uh, Janet, feel free to stand with her and do that this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing. You come as God leads you this morning. Mm-hmm.